0: Welcome to Let Creativity Flow, brought to you by Splice, a music creator marketplace for samples and software. Go to osirispod.com creativity to learn more and to see a special offer for listeners of this podcast. In this episode, we're going to dive in to the future of music. When it comes to where music is headed, it's hard to not get trapped into a black mirror style dystopia where everything seems bleak. Even today, so much of our daily reality seems unthinkably positive compared to just a few years ago. Just last night, I recorded a short video in my studio of myself playing music. In less than three minutes, I had it uploaded to a few social platforms, and in less than 24 hours, 9,000 people had seen it. 20 years ago, if I wanted to get my music out to 9,000 people within a day, my only shot was radio, TV, or playing as an opening act for John Mayer. Thanks to the magic of modern technology, I don't have to do any of those things. So with that in mind, where can music go? Here's Sherry Hu, a music and tech writer whose work has appeared in Billboard, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, and other publications.
1: Technology has definitely changed how we understand artistry and I think over the next decade, you're definitely going to see that as machine learning algorithms that have to do with music creation get better and better. I think now they're pretty elementary, but I can definitely see in like five to ten years' time someone being able to have like a few clicks on their phone or on their laptop and be able to create a convincing minute-and-a-half song that they can then upload to Spotify and start making money from, if people like it. That pathway is already being laid out, which... I really don't think, well, put musicians out of a job. I think that notion is actually an insult to human creativity. I've like had this realization, Like every time people say robots are going to you know, put musicians out of a job, I'm like, do you hear yourself? Are you really that pessimistic about the power of human creativity? I think artists, both like current full-time artists and the next generation of artists who don't know a world without these kinds of tools would do really, really interesting things with them. Of course, you need to think about legal considerations and how copyright law will have to change around that. But I think it'll lead to a whole new era of super exciting creativity and redefinition of what it means to be an artist. So that's kind of the next wave in this cycle.
0: Sherry brings up a point that's become pretty contentious in a lot of circles, from music and technology to politics and labor. And that's the idea that robots are going to put humans out of a job. Like Sherry, I'm an optimist, and I think history has shown that robots have made our lives better overall, and that they haven't really destroyed jobs in the way that we thought they would, at least not yet. But when it comes to music, the case isn't nearly that simple. For example, to make the music you've been hearing in this episode, and the two previous episodes of this series, we didn't have to hire any musicians. I just made the music myself in Splice. Stay tuned for more on that later. Even when it comes to professional gigs, many musicians I know have been booking fewer and fewer of them because so many bars and clubs these days prefer DJs over live bands. And some of the DJs I know have been getting less gigs since those same bars and clubs now have digital jukeboxes, so the patrons are now in control of the music. The economics of music are constantly changing with technology. Sherry also brought up the idea that machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence, might get to the point that it's so advanced, it completely changes the way we think about music creation. Here's Sherry again, going a bit deeper into that subject.
1: In general, I'm personally excited about re-examining a lot of things that we take for granted, whether that's about understanding what it means to be creative, understanding what it means to be original, understanding ownership. I think, especially in the age of AI-generated music, a lot of the terminology that we use in the industry might not work quite as well anymore. The concept of recorded music, is that actually appropriate in a world of AI-generated music? is an AI really recording anything? Like, are they pressing record in the studio or are they just laying it all out, right? And in that case, do we need a whole other class of music that's faithful to the methodology that's separate from recorded music? I think we'll see a lot of that new terminology come up. Over the next couple of years, and so I'm just excited for that, like just new ways of thinking about music, including but not limited to what happens creatively behind the scenes.
0: In 2016, researchers at Sony's computer science laboratory, known as Sony CSL, created a remarkable piece of software called Flow Machines. This artificial intelligence scanned 13,000 pieces of sheet music from a wide variety of styles. Then a human could launch the software and choose a certain genre, and the AI would generate a complete song melody, harmony, and everything else. Human musicians would then take out the generated music, smooth out the edges, and the result was really convincing. It didn't sound like it was written by a robot. And this may be one of the biggest lines drawn in the sand when it comes to AI-generated music in the future. For a lot of us, having a connection to an artist's music means having a connection to the artists themselves. But when the music is generated by a set of algorithms, what exactly is there to be connected to? Maybe most fans of this music won't care that there wasn't a real human behind the keyboard making the sounds appear. Because if you like the way the music sounds, who cares? When algorithms are working as intended, they're almost invisible. There's a good chance that you've been recommended countless songs or products or videos or social posts, and when it's something that grabs your attention in a positive way, you forget that it was a lifeless entity that brought it into your existence. It's something that just appeared. And we can't talk about algorithms without mentioning the multi billion dollar gorilla in the room, Amazon. Here's Andrew Sparkler, Senior Vice President of Business Development at Downtown Music.
2: I guess if I had one hot take, it would be that I think the winner, to the extent there is one, of these streaming wars will be Amazon. No one's talking about them, the same way no one talked about them with respect to books or supermarkets. And I think a lot of the ink that's been spilled is written by folks on the coast and not taking into account how the majority of people in the world listen to music, which is through their Alexa. And they just say, while they're making dinner, hey, Alexa, play the Eagles. And then Alexa plays the same five Eagle songs over and over, and the person's totally happy. And I'm not passing judgment. That's, I get it, right? Like I listen to the same songs over and over again. It's just that. This week it's been a tool song, so it's been a 50 minute endeavor, but I think Amazon's going to win. They're going to undercut everyone else. They're going to provide a base service that will get at 90% of how people listen to music and they're going to sneak up on everybody just in the same way they have in every other sector. That's sort of my, if there was one thing that I wish we paid attention to more as an industry, it was maybe allowing for that possibility.
0: According to the Media Research Group, there were 304.9 million subscribers to music streaming services as of June 2019. Spotify came in at number one with 36% of those subscribers, Apple Music came in second at 18%, and Amazon came in third, not far behind Apple, with 13%. Andrew brings up the important point that Amazon has a way of sneaking in and undercutting the competition and gobbling up market share in so many of the industries that they touch. As musicians and producers, that could have a big impact on streaming revenues if Amazon becomes the front-runner in music delivery in the future. And what if they decide to lower streaming royalties paid out to artists and labels in an effort to offer a rock-bottom price for subscribers? As music delivery will inevitably evolve for streaming, it will probably change when it comes to live music as well. Here's John Barber, guitarist, vocalist, and composer for the Disco Biscuits.
3: Having a tool like Spice is indispensable because music is going to be loopy for years and years and years. And I think that people are going to have ways of controlling that a little bit better, a little bit bigger. I think the sound systems are going to get better. Kids are going to figure out how to move and shake, and they're going to figure out how to push people around a dance floor an interesting thing about music is the subwoofer and the sub frequency range is a relatively new addition to concerts i've been throwing Campisco for 20 years the amount of money we spend on subwoofers now versus the amount of money we spent on woofers when we started same biscuits i have the same guitar but the amount of money we spend on subwoofers now is considerably more than what we used to spend It's not even the same ballpark. It was barely a line item before, and now it's like people won't even play your festival if that number's not big enough. So it seems like the sound system at larger venues has evolved in a major way in the past, let's say, five to ten years, and I think that's going to continue. I think five to ten years now, the sound system is going to be a whole nother level different than it is now.
0: Bass, as a frequency, is getting more and more important to all of us as time goes by. So many of us are addicted to the way our head rattles when we have our headphones on, or that fuzzy feeling in the center of our chest when the bass is really booming at a concert. And that's because our bodies react differently to bass frequencies than any other frequencies. Although we can't really hear sounds below 20Hz, we can feel them in our bodies and when babies are developing in the womb they can hear a wide variety of low frequency sounds like the mother's heartbeat but they can't hear higher frequency sounds since they're blocked by fluid so there's a good chance that your love for bass in your music is something that's not just deep but that might have been forming since your days in the womb Recorded music, especially pop, hip-hop, and EDM, is getting more bass-heavy, and acts need heavier-duty woofers and subwoofers to really deliver their music to audiences, as Barbara mentioned. And, of course, bass makes us want to dance. We know that music affects our physiology, the way we move and breathe, and some tech companies are trying to leverage that into their products. Take the example of Weave Run the adaptive music app that promises to help runners stay in sync with their music. The app can detect the rate of your running and match it to a song with a similar BPM, beats per minute, which is how fast or slow a song can feel. Some studies have shown that running in sync with music can boost performance and decrease your perception of effort. In the future, we're probably going to see a lot more technology like this, technology that links our physiology with music in an effort to create an enjoyable, optimal state. Here's Aaron Magner, keyboardist for the Disco Biscuits and Spaga.
3: What I can't wait for is the moment between technology and medical science where I can actually think of some sort of melody, think an arrangement in my head, right? Because that's always one of the most difficult parts of extracting it from your head or being able to translate waking up out of a dream and having an idea and then getting it down onto paper or computer or piano or whatever it is. You know, how does that happen?
0: We're starting to see more stories of this kind of technology, a brain-computer interface. In the spring of 2019, a team of researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, built an interface that allowed the test subjects to think of a word or phrase, and the electrical signals would get transferred to an external computer system that would speak the words out loud. Now, this study was aiming to find a way to help patients who couldn't speak by literally giving them a voice. And it should be mentioned that the computer was not reading these test subjects' thoughts, but rather picking up on subtle nerve signals around the vocal cords. But this could very well be the first step towards exactly what Magner has just mentioned, a brain-computer interface that allows anyone to think of sounds and have them be played out loud. Now, we may be a few years away from such an elaborate musical instrument, but we can bet that humans will continue to have a deep love of art and music going into the future. Here's Andy Weissman, Managing Partner at Union Square Ventures.
4: Where can technology evolve things in a positive way? And I think in a positive way is more access to more music by more people, which means you have to expand the access by someone who wants to create in the way they create. You have to expand the access to someone that may not have an audience but has a particular sound and wants to play in a room full of people or expand the way that someone can upload their song to SoundCloud and it's available to the whole world. It's all about expanding that. Who knows what the future is going to be, but it feels like directionally, those can be very positive forces in terms of the creation of art. One of the reasons art is vital is it's a mirror that reflects the world back at us, so we understand the world in a much finer level, at a much more interesting level. So if you believe that, you would believe that we need more art. And so if there are tools or services that can allow for the creation or distribution or promotion or performance of more art, those are generally good things.
0: Andy nailed what I love about Splice because it's honestly one of the most well-designed creative and collaboration tools available on the market. I produce a ton of music for personal and professional projects, and Splice has made both of these processes so much easier and more fun. Uploading DAW files for collaboration is a breeze, and when I'm producing beats and backing tracks and music, I feel like a kid in a candy store as I scroll through countless high-quality loops and samples from world-class artists and producers. Here's Steve Martosi, CEO of Splice.
3: Are we gonna see more in-person collaborations because people have collaborated online? or will it continue to be dispersed but reach more people? Like, I don't know what you think about all that.
0: I mean, look, there's a very key and real trend that collaboration is the key to ratcheting up your career. So in the era of social media being uh, the primary kind of audience building tools, the way that people break their channels is they do cross-pollination between them. They'll appear on someone else's channel, they'll go back, and that's how you start to grow. And so that's the huge trend in music. The strange thing about music as technology progresses is that our need for musical collaboration seems like it would be reduced because it gives us the tools to create some amazing art entirely by ourselves. But we are social creatures first and foremost. And as Steve mentioned, we grow stronger when we work with others that are aligned along a shared purpose. Because making music isn't just about making noise. Of course, that's part of the fun, but for a lot of us, making music is a chance to share our deepest truths, fears, thoughts, and desires with the world. Making music is our chance to create something that will live longer than us, something that may be enjoyed by people hundreds or even thousands of years after we're gone. And if you decide that Splice should be part of your journey, we know that this platform will help you get to where you need to go. So get to work and let your creativity flow. Let Creativity Flow is produced by Osiris Media. It's edited and mastered by Revoice Media, hosted by me, Amar Sastry. Special thanks to Sherry Hu, Andy Weissman, Andrew Sparkler, John Barber, Aaron Magner, Steve Martosi, and to the entire team at Splice. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and visit osirispod.com creativity for a special offer from Splice for listeners of this podcast. As mentioned in our previous episode, I worked on a song with Tom Marshall, the songwriter and lyricist for the band Fish, and Splice was our primary collaboration tool while making the song. It's called Frisbee. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks again for listening.